Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Ashley Collegian Blunt. Ashley is the author of My Name is Revenge. Her writing has appeared in Griffith Review and Kill Your Darlings, amongst others, and she has appeared at Story Club and various writers' festivals back in the day when, when that was a thing we could do. Today, Ashley will be joining me to discuss her memoir, How to Be Australian. My name is Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Now, I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gundungurra people. I want to start by acknowledging the traditional owners and pay my respects to their ongoing connections to these lands. Stolen lands. It always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, the final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing and literary culture. Now, can you help me help others discover great new Australian books? If you give us a rating or leave a comment or even, you know, check us out on one of the socials, you're going to be able to help put Final Draft in front of more eyes in the podcast world. It lets more people discover the show and discover the books that we're featuring. Now, today on the show, Ashley Collegian Blunt, well, she escaped the positively Arctic climate of Winnipeg to study in Australia. How to be Australian is the story of her journey to becoming an Australian citizen, trying to convince her partner Steve to pack up his life and move, and figuring out what this country of strange noises and even stranger birds is all about. Ashley has penned an outsider's view on life down under that explores our history and our present, and what it might mean to come to terms with becoming an Australian. Join me as we discover Ashley Collegian Blunt's How to Be Australian. Oh, I don't know about anyone else, but it's pretty cold where I'm sitting right now. Even with the heater on, my feet feel like ice. And speaking of that heater, my cat rocket is lying close enough. I expect to smell singed fur any minute. But I daren't complain about any of this to my next guest. Ashley Collegian Blunt escaped the positively Arctic climate of Winnipeg to study in Australia. She's the author of My Name is Revenge. Her writing has appeared in the Griffith Review and Kill Your Darlings, amongst others. She's also appeared at Story Club and and Writers Festivals back when that was a thing we could do. And she has penned an outsider's view on life down under called How to Be Australian. It's out now through a firm press. Ashley, welcome. Thanks for joining me on Final Draft. Thank you so much for having me today, Andrew. And I just want to acknowledge that uh, I'm speaking to you from Gadigal Land, part of the Eora Nation, and I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia uh, on whose land I wrote this book and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Yeah, so Gadigal Land, also where 2SER broadcasts from, and I'm I'm speaking to you, so I'm on Gundungurra Land, I'm up in the Blue Mountains, and um, look, I want to. I, I think that what we've just done there, that acknowledgement, is one. It's so important, but two. It also is a part of the journey that you go on as you you learn about Australia and how to be Australian. Is your journey to becoming an Australian? You've been here nine nine years now, and I think journeys though they're always they're always best viewed from their starting place. So. Can you take us back to that initial decision, back when you were trying to convince your partner, Steve, to pack up his life and move? What did Australia mean to you then, if you can kind of cast your mind back that far? And what did you think then it meant to be an Australian? Oh, that's such a great question. So I really had such a simplistic idea about Australia. Like back living in in Canada, growing up in Canada, we didn't have, you know, a lot of uh, history outside of sort of modern European history. So I didn't learn much about Australia beyond the fact that it was a a colony similar to Canada. So we had that shared cultural history. Uh, But I think I had a very simplistic 
concept of Australia because I had this sort of, you know, popular culture image of beaches and sunshine. And I lived in a place where winter could last, you know, seven months. It would go down to minus 40. Some winters, it would stay at minus 40 for three months. And it's just such a miserable experience to live in that depth of cold, particularly for that long you don't see a lot of sunshine. You really can't spend any time outside. It's very dangerous to drive. Uh, so in my head, I just had this image of Australia as, as warm and sunny and beachy. And therefore, everybody there would be happy because why wouldn't you be happy with that kind of climate? And, and that was really all I, I felt like all I needed to know to make the decision to want to move here. Because at that time, the idea was just to move for a year. It wasn't going to be a permanent thing. It was just, we're going to go spend a year in Australia just because I wanted, I wanted my partner to experience life outside of Canada for a little while. That had been an important part of my life. I'd gone and lived in Korea for a year and Peru and then in Mexico. And I really wanted him to experience just the, the, the process of living in a different country and being an outsider in, in, in that, in that, in, Australia, what would be a fairly small way, I thought. So, yeah, I came here thinking it was all going to be really, really easy, particularly compared to living in Korea and Peru and Mexico. And I discovered actually uh, Canada and Australia have a lot of differences. They're subtle, but they combined are actually can be quite powerful. And I mean, I don't think that's a very surprising image that you have there and even even within Australia I know so many people so many friends who myself even at one point or another the desire to just to be on the coast to live near the beach and our popular culture even our literature has at times very much had that notion of the bush or the beach and we kind of it's almost like we leapfrog over all of the places that are also a part of Australia um now, more than anything else, I, I, I got the sense from your book that being in a, being Australian or being in Australia is an auditory experience. Even before you knew their names, both you and Steve were transfixed by the birdsong or, or the laughter or the squawks that surrounded you. But conversely, you worried that your accent marked you out. Too often you were thought to be American to have the wrong accent. Yeah, that's a really great observation, actually, because the the soundscape of Australia is incredible and I and I, I talk about in the book how much I love it and how it just it strikes me as so distinctive and it's so captivating and it really is something that, you know, whenever I've gone away since moving here that I that I miss. But at the same time, yeah, that accent thing, as you can hear, I still have a still have a pretty strong North American accent and uh, and that's not gonna change. And it's the kind of thing where you know, I understand my accent marks me as an outsider. And I, whenever any individual person asks me about it, I'm, that's, that's, I'm completely fine with that. But when I get asked repeatedly about it, it just internally sort of, it reminds me, hey, like, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? And that compounded, uh, it, it, particularly when I was working so hard to fit in, was you know it made it made me really think about constantly about the fact that I'm an outsider 
But I mean, if you ask any Australian, you know, we're egalitarian. This is a classless society. We would never mark anyone out for the way that they sound. But then, you know, people, you ask someone from Sydney, people from Adelaide sound a bit funny. And, um, you know, <laughs> if, if you come from the eastern suburbs or the western suburbs or... It, it's a contradiction and, and perhaps um, a dirty secret that we will use these markers in a way. We just will refuse to acknowledge that we're doing it. And the range of accents in Australia, like what is an Australian accent? Is There's such a huge range. Mm. And I talk about this in the book, but it is something I think about a lot. Like there's just such a, there's such a wide range. Whereas in Canada, I don't feel like we have such a range like I'm and again I might be wrong because I'm just used to Canadian accents and maybe an Australian would go there and say wow there's such a range of Canadian accents but I do feel like there's there's an incredible range in Australia and and that was one of the things I sort of had to adjust to is like well what actually is an Australian accent because there's so many that the answer to that question is so variable I mean I'm not as familiar with Canada, but I, I, my understanding was that you go from sort of east to west, and you're you're literally going from British to French. I I would have thought there was a bit of range of accent there, but um... oh, okay. Well, yeah, there's <laughs> the, yeah, you've got you've got you've got French Canada, uh, which is mainly uh, Quebec is the main French speaking province. Uh, so yes, you you do have that would be a different accent for sure. <laughs> And that's what we do in Australia. You just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we, we're all the same accent. Oh, you mean Western Australia? Yeah, but that's all the way over the other side. The, the sounds of the country, they, they extended into your exploration of place. Now, you're an active, throughout the book, you're an active student of the original place names. You are acknowledging them through the book as we acknowledge them at the start of this conversation. And you sort of muse on on what that means to be on someone else's land, but also some of the hilarious appropriations of Indigenous words from from local languages. We might get to Canberra in a sec. What did it mean to you to discover this this history of Indigenous uh, cultural appropriation and cultural destruction that you you were finding out about this country? Oh, that's yeah, that's an incredible question. So, I mean, Canada has a similar history of cultural destruction. Um, it has been labeled uh, cultural genocide in Canada. Uh, and, and we have, you know, again, si- similar problems uh, that, we, that we are struggling to address, working to address. And, you know, it's a massive challenge to address such deep-rooted historical injustice, especially when the reality of that injustice has been largely hidden or denied and so remains unknown by so much of the population. And, and an example of that is, when I read uh, Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu, that made me aware of just how much we don't know about Australia's Indigenous peoples, the incredible knowledge that they had of the land and the waters, and how much of that was destroyed and then written out of history by colonialists. And so I felt that when given the immense privilege of becoming a citizen, that that also came with a responsibility to be politically engaged, to agitate for change, to talk about these issues, to continue educating myself, uh, to donate to organizations doing important work like Sisters Inside and the Healing Foundation and so many others. And, uh, and part of that, you know, reading more Indigenous uh, authors like Stan Grant and Clara G. Coleman and Tara June Winch. And so I, 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 I really feel strongly about that process and the importance of it, um, partly because, as, as I described in the book, 
my great grandparents were survivors of genocide. So I have, and I spent 10 years studying that and writing about it. So I have some uh, insights into, you know, the impact of intergenerational trauma and the ongoing legacy and, and how that impacts both individuals and communities. Yeah, let's let's go to that because part of your original desire to move, you were you were going to study and complete a research project on the Armenian diaspora of which your family is a part. And through your studies in the book, you describe connecting with the Armenian community in Sydney. And at a dinner party, one of your hosts reflects on her for reflecting on her Armenian and Australian identity says, I guess I'm both, but also not enough of either. And that's, that's an an incredibly powerful perspective on how identity works. How did that make you feel about your own identity as I, I guess at the time you were still a bit of a wanderer and about searching for home in Australia? I think that we have uh, an issue uh, culturally, uh, not just in Australia, but I think in general, in in terms of Western culture, that we think about home in a bit of a reductive sense, like that you have a home. And, And I think what I've learned over time is that that's just one perspective that you can take on home, but it's actually the worst one. A much better perspective to take on home is that it can be additive, that you can have multiple homes and that that actually it gives you more. So that feeling that she has that, you know, she's split between these two places, Australia and Armenia, and then that makes her not quite enough of either to fully belong. I think if we could, uh, Flip that on its head, and if we could say, actually, she has this incredible belonging in these two places, and that is is such a gift, and is is you know gives her so much more. She's got so much more perspective on the world, more perspective on herself, more cultural background to draw on. It's an incredible thing, and we need to think of it in that you know additive way, as opposed to that it that it takes something away from you, that it makes you not fully belonging to either place. I think that is such that is a that is a beautiful perspective that is a beautiful philosophy on the idea of home. I think it's also so important for us to take even just that idea of challenging what home means to us on board right now. I mean I'm talking to you from your home, I'm in my home, so many of us have been in our homes in Melbourne people are stuck for for the the greater health of the community in their homes, but we're also we have a view on the world and I mean, from when when we're speaking right now, it's only a few days since that incredibly horrific explosion in Beirut, which has rocked that country. But also, you know, Australia has a huge Lebanese diaspora, a huge community that were born in, in Lebanon or have family there. And I mean, it's a part, I mean, we can look across the world, I think, in Australia and, and see you know, home everywhere because these are the people who are our friends who we consider part of our home and that's part of their home. I'd, I I feel like I'm rambling a little bit here, but I'm trying to, I want to connect with that idea that home is additive and home is, is collective. Yeah, when you start to think about home in, in terms of its multiplicity, in terms of, of, and I think every single person probably could identify multiple, you know, physical places where they feel at home, like, Maybe they grew up in multiple neighborhoods or multiple countries. Maybe they always lived in the exact same house, but they also feel at home at a close friend's house or a relative's house. You know, you feel at home 
in the places that you spent time, but you also feel at home with people that you are close to, no matter where in the world that they happen to be. So, and then, and then, like you said, Australia is such a multicultural country. There's people here who have that sense of home uh, around the world, and we can we can connect directly with those people in our neighborhoods and and learn about their homes. So, really, it does. I think I think that's one of the wonderful things about living in a multicultural country is it brings the whole world together in a really a close knit way, and you start to realize, oh, like like all of these places are home to someone, and we can connect with all of those people, and and thus like take that understanding of how you know home can be Lebanon, home can be Armenia, home can be Canada, and then we get a greater appreciation for the the world around us. Do you have a sense? of what we might be able to do when home becomes problematized. I mean, Australia, um, as a settler colonial nation, we are living on stolen ground. And we've, we've talked a little bit about needing to, as, you know, as white, um, you know, both you're coming from Canada and now Australian. I, I was born in Australia. We've both been born on lands that were stolen lands. And part of the process of, of healing, we, we, we have been told is, um, in Australia, the word that we hear is makarata, about being able to listen to stories and acknowledge them and begin that process. Do you have a sense of what happens when home becomes problematized? Yeah, well, like, as you said, the, the whole issue of settler land, but I think that in Australia, particularly because of uh, the traditional owner's deep attachment to land and, and place. And that's something that I really, uh, I felt like I had to work hard at learning about because I'm from, I mean, not only am I from, okay, I'm from a settler country, but uh, my dad was in the military. So we lived in four provinces during my childhood, and I never really felt a deep attachment to any one of them, particularly because I always knew we would be leaving again. Like, that was always on the horizon. We never knew when it was going to come. It could be, you know, in a year we could be moving without the military's whim. But then combined with that, my mom's from a military background as well. So she grew up in the same way, not having a deep attachment to any one place. And then my background is, Irish, Scottish, Polish, Armenian. So I don't have a, a connection to any particular one of those places. Uh, I developed a connection to Armenia as I got older and I chose to engage with my dad's Armenian community and, and their connection to Armenia. And now I have a connection to Armenia because of that. But in terms of, so like where, where in the world would I call like my homeland? Well, I don't, I don't relate to that term. I can't relate to that term personally. So I had to learn how other people understand the concept of homeland and what it means for them personally, and particularly for Indigenous Australians. And part of how I did that actually was through connecting with the Armenian community, because they feel very, very strongly about Armenian homeland. And they talk about homeland and they talk about Armenia as their homeland, even if they personally have never been there. But they still have this incredibly powerful sense of it. And so, you know, and Armenia as a, you know, as a, as an ethnic group, they, you, we can date them back about 3,000 years, which like is a very small number compared to how far back Australian indigenous uh, connection to land goes, you know, 60,000, 80,000 years, whatever that number is, it's huge. And so 
that effort I made to understand the Armenian perspective on homeland gave me, you know, some small insight into what it might be like to have that indigenous connection to land. And I just have huge respect for that. I think that's such a fascinating concept. And I'm always glad to, to read more about it, learn more about it, talk to people about it. I love that what I'm what I got from your book, How to Be Australian, what I'm getting in this conversation is this idea that that home, that being becoming a part of somewhere is an active process. It's also a, a communal process and it's a process that we have to continue to go on. And that seems very much um, against maybe some of the uh, the laconic laid back images of Australia. Now we are talking about some of the, I guess, maybe the more problematic aspects of Australia's national identity here, um, mm. and that's that's not the ideal of you know no worries, no worries that Australians or Aussies we love to invoke, and that that no idea ideal of no worries. It seemed to me like a luxury that may in fact be a privilege of of, I guess, that, that settler colonial condition we were just talking about and maybe a product of um, the, the the so-called lucky country. And I'm going to quote, are you, do you know Donald Horn and his book Lucky mm. Country? The lucky mm-hmm, country, yeah. yeah, run mainly by second-rate people who share its luck, which really puts no worries in stark contrast. Um, have you come to embrace the no worries attitude or do you, do you still sort of feel like this is, you know, we do need to be so actively engaged and not sort of tune out? Oh, absolutely. I think, like I, like I said, I think active engagement is, is a responsibility of, of everyone, at, I mean, everywhere, but in Australia particularly, you know, there's, there's so much work that needs to be done. Australia is a remarkable place with remarkable people, and we can make it even more so by sort of honestly acknowledging like things like uh, the Indigenous history and, and the ongoing impacts of that on Indigenous communities. For example, we could talk about asylum seekers. You know, there's lots of things we could talk about there. But I think, uh, oh my gosh, I've lost my train of thought. What was your question? Just, um, (laughs) I guess just that idea of the no worries attitude versus this need to actually actively engage. Yes. Okay. So what I was going to say on that was, as I said, it's so important to actively engage. But also I think there's, I do like, I do appreciate the idea of no worries in, in interpersonal exchange. As in, like, I love using that phrase. I love telling people, like, hey, don't worry about it. Like, no worries. Uh, because I feel like it is a, it is a great way to, to, to alleviate, you know, any sort of interpersonal tension, you know. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, oh, this response is a bit rambling. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, Oh, exactly. That's that's a perfect example of of how I have embraced no worries. Um, not on a not on a broader scale in terms of uh, my responsibility as a citizen, but on a on an interpersonal level. And I also think part of what I really dig into in the book, like on an intrapersonal level, like for myself, um, you know, part of the book traces how I developed, um, you know, anxiety that started to become. Uh, that started to take over my life and and how I had to go through the process of like identifying that problem, acknowledging it to myself, seeking help, and then the process of actually um, working against that anxiety. And so, I mean, no worries 
it's such a ridiculous phrase in some way, particularly, I mean, we live in the age of anxiety and now we're in the midst of a pandemic. So it's impossible, literally impossible to have no worries. But at the same time, like you need to find ways to cope with the worrying. And so in a way, the book is an effort to do that as well. Yeah, we, we acknowledged off air in in our discussion that the way you discuss mental health in How to Be Australian is not something that I think I, I identify as being particularly Australian, um, and it should be, but there is, a, there is an element of stoicism uh, in the Australian national identity. Did you find... That way, that well, that maybe that reluctance to engage was something you had to deal with when you met Australians. Yeah, I definitely found that. I think, like you said, that stoicism. Uh, I consider it. You know, it's it's, it's it's very English, but then Australia took it that much further. Like they, you know, my husband has English heritage, and and so I was I recognized that sort of like. Oh, like, let's, let's, we won't engage with these problems. We'll just pretend that they don't exist. Uh, so I recognized that. I and mean, then it felt like Australia just took that one step further. Yeah, everything's, just, everything's bigger in Australia. Oh, my gosh. So, so I, but, and I, and I guess in a way, the book, although it's called How to Be Australian, it, part of what is happening in the book is that I'm demonstrating how, I, I, how I'm not Australian and how I'm failing to be Australian. And I think, in, in some ways, sort of demonstrating or sort of trying to gently point out, well, maybe these aspects of Australianness aren't actually helping us. Like maybe we need to, to question them and try to look at like how we could, how we could shift our perspective and our understanding of ourselves into a, into a healthier mindset, for example. And I think, like you said, uh, that stoicism maybe is leading to in part, uh, negative impacts on mental health. And I love that attitude to challenge um, that emerges in the in How to Be Australian as you approach different places that you visit. Um, when you, 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 you're told certain things uh, to discover in Melbourne, but then when, when Steve kind of instantly falls in love with it, you're like, well, I'm going to challenge that. I don't know how you've fallen in love with it within five minutes everyone told you everyone told you that it's just a you know a, a national you know pet project to hate on Canberra and you're like I'm gonna love Canberra um what what was your what was your favorite preconception about an Australian place that you were just like I am gonna challenge this oh the Canberra one definitely I I really thought I really arrived in Canberra being like oh these people like Clearly, they're exaggerating, and, and I'm going to just connect with this city, and I'm going to find all the great things about it. And uh, yeah, no, Canberra proved me wrong; it really did. <laughs> We're going to come back to that later. Um, so, I want to I want to take you back. I want to take you back now to the start of our conversation. At the start, I asked you what being Australian meant to you before you were one. You described mm. that that kind of stereotype of Australianness. Um, you didn't specifically mention home and away, but it felt like you know it felt like you might have had a little bit of a home and away vision in your head. With all that you've come to understand nine years later, all the difficulties that we know we still face as a country, has that perspective changed, and is it still meaningful to think for you about being Australian as opposed to just being a part of 
this culture in this country that's constantly evolving? My Australian-ness is really meaningful for me because it was such a personal project. I I arrived here with the idea that we were going to stay for a year, we were going to have a fun time, and then we were going to leave. And circumstances have kept us here. And as I describe in the book, I feel really, really torn about that. But uh, I went through several years where I was struggling with many things in my life. And uh, I had a lot of time to overthink everything because I, I didn't have, uh, I was underemployed and sort of struggling with career, but also struggling with marriage and also struggling with, with life. And, and, and during that time I was here in Australia and trying to figure out, could this place be a home to me and what would that mean? And so I, when I, I identified that, that that was a real issue for me personally. And then I went on that journey of, okay, well, how do I make this place a home and how do I connect with it? And how do I connect with its people? Then when I, by the time I got citizenship, I felt like I had set this goal for myself and I had achieved that goal. And it's, an, it's like you said, it's an ongoing thing. I, I'm, I will always be actively learning about Australia for as long as I am here. And, and I love that journey. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I've created a home. And that's one of the themes of the book is, is home is something that you can create through, through effort. Uh, it's not just um, bestowed upon you, I guess. Ashley Collegian Blunt is the author of How to Be Australian and she's describing there that active process that I think it it takes to be a part of anywhere. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on Final Draft. It has been absolutely brilliant to to dissect the ideas that you present and and really kind of get a get a bit more of a sense of of who we are. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Andrew. It's been an absolute delight to speak to you today. That's it for this great conversation with Ashley Collegian Blunt. Ashley's new book is How to Be Australian, and it's out now through a firm press. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing, and literary culture, you can follow us on the socials. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find us on, just find us at, at Final Draft 2 ser putting up new book reviews and ways to discover Australian writing every couple of days. It's a, it's a good time to check them out. If you click subscribe in the podcast app, you'll get a new great conversation every week. My name is Andrew Popel. I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Until then, um, happy reading. <laughs>